So today I'm going to talk to you about Canaan. Not my little brother. We talked about him last week. I want to talk to you about Canaan, the promised land. And I also want to talk to you about some chickens and eagles. Chickens and eagles and Canaan, the promised land. So let's just start by reading in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse... Let's start in verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. Grace and peace be multiplied or grace and peace more and more. Grace and peace would abound. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. Grace and peace are always connected. We all know we need more peace. But maybe we don't know we need more grace. So how is grace and peace multiplied to you? I want grace and peace multiplied in my life. I want grace and peace multiplied to me. So grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Oh, so as we grow in knowledge of God through Jesus and what was done for us, the sacrifice of the cross, as we grow in the knowledge of God, grace and peace is multiplied unto us. Different translations word it differently, but the idea here is that as we spiritually grow and mature and we learn more about God, we get more and more grace and peace. God gives you the grace and peace for today, for this moment, but, but also for this stage of the journey that you're in. If you choose to quit moving forward in your journey, you, quit, you choose to quit, to stop, you don't need more grace and peace. Grace and peace will be multiplied to you as you grow in the knowledge of God through Jesus, through what was done to you. That's how you get grace and peace multiplied to you is you grow. Verse 3. According as His divine power hath I want to point out that's hath. Past tense. It's already been done. This isn't something that we're praying let it happen. Let it be. Let No, it hath. It already happened. Hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. What? According to His divine power, we all believe that God has divine power. I would think most of us could agree on that, that God has divine power. According to his divine power, hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. He has given you everything you need 
In other words, it is inside of you. It's an inside job. Where we mess up is looking for something on the outside that we need or something to complete us or something to make us be what we're supposed to be or do what we're supposed to do or we're looking to something or someone or some stuff on the outside. And, and we see all throughout the New Testament, Paul tells us and here Peter's telling us that it's inside of you. Everything that you need, he placed it inside of you. That's what Jesus does. There is a divine nature in you. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. That's a lot. More than you can ask or even think. According to the power that worketh in the sky. No, the power that worketh in heaven somewhere. No, it says the power that worketh in us. Wait, so God's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ask or think or even imagine? Okay, cool. According to the power that worketh in us. In you. It's inside of you. But you need to know the power that you possess. What's placed inside of you. The divine nature, nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So... If you do a little bit of studying on chickens, I'll tell you that, you know, chickens used to be able to fly and hunt. But after years and what? But after years and years of domestication and being fed and protected, they got fatter. They got more custom to walking. Their feet changed. Their wings changed to where they can only fly because they're, they'll only fly if they're scared and they can't fly very high. Most of the time you scare them, they just poop. Safe living. Now... The opposite of the chicken, we could probably say, is the eagle, king of the birds. Also, I found that interesting. I, I was studying last week, and I was thinking about animals and these chickens and looking up stuff about chickens and eagles and, and stuff for what we're about to talk about. But then I got kind of curious and started looking through the Bible, and there's only two animals in the whole entire Bible that I can find that God compares himself to or that the Bible compares to God. It's a lion and an eagle. The eagle's considered the king of the birds and the lion's considered the king of the beast. But an eagle is the opposite of a chicken. They say that an eagle can reach 
up to 200 miles an hour in its dive for prey. That's insane. 200 miles, that it's the fastest animal, that or a falcon. Falcons fly pretty fast. 200 miles an hour. So, a lot of times, I feel like God's called us to be eagles, right? God's called us to fly high, and when a storm comes, we, we see all these things throughout Scripture, and when a storm comes, it should push us higher like the eagle, and, and we're called to rule and reign, and we're kings, king's kids, and all these things. Like, we're supposed to be like the eagle, but so many times we look and act like chickens and we've got these knobby little knees and when something scares us rather than flying high we poop yeah i mean that's not what we're supposed to look like as christians the old is gone and the new has come see we've been taken from death to life but why do we still look like death? Nobody taught us how to do our makeup. No. Why we still look like chickens. And, and chickens are fine to eat. But I don't want to be a bunch of Christian chickens that just meet up here every Sunday in our chicken coop and hope somebody lays a good egg. Like, I want to be eagles. Hopefully you do too. So religion says you're a chicken. Do this, 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 this. Here's your list. Here's your list of rules. And if you do all this, then one day you can be an eagle. We're going to change your chicken butt. You just got to do all this. Grace says you're an eagle. And if you'll see it, you'll stop living like a chicken. You're, you're like that old eagle scratching around in the chicken pen. It look kind of ridiculous. There's great power inside of you, but you don't realize it. Think about an eagle scratching around in the chicken pen with the chickens waiting on the farmer to come throw him some corn. And then that verse we just read. Exceedingly, abundantly above all that you could ask or think, the power is inside of you. Spread your wings. And you don't have to focus on not scratching around and eating corn. Right? If you see that you're an eagle, you stop doing chicken things. You stop acting like a chicken. You stop settling for an old dried out piece of corn or a, a grub worm. You go get fresh meat. When you see who you are and you realize the power that worketh in you. So just stop playing the chicken eagle game. It's in you. Everything you need. The problem with religion is that religion works from a basic assumption that it's not in you. So you must do to be. 
You want to be okay? You need to do this. You want to be forgiven? You need to do this. You got to do to be. Do to be. You got to light these candles. You got to pay this price. You got to put money in here. You got to do whatever it is. But, but religion will tell you you need to do to be. Grace says the opposite. See, my pastor, Pastor Bruce, says that your doing must come from your being and not the other way around because you'll get burnt out. You're doing, yeah, we're supposed to do good works. We're supposed to change the world around us. We're supposed to feed the hungry and clothe the naked and, and do all these things. Yes, you're supposed to do. James said, you can look at my works and tell what I believe. So yeah, don't get me wrong, we're supposed to be doing, but your doing should come from your being. Your doing comes from the fact that you are a son and a daughter of the king. It's, it comes from the fact that you're an eagle. The price has been paid. It comes from your being. You can't be a chicken trying to do eagle things. It doesn't work. Chicken can go try to fly off the cliff and catch a rabbit. And it, I mean, it's not going to work. You must be transformed. How? Romans tells us by the renewing of your mind. Romans 12. You must be transformed and see that you are an eagle. And then you'll do eagle things. Renewing of your mind. Look what else it says. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound. So abound is to come up out of. So what Peter's saying there is it's not, it's not enough for it to just be in you. Like all these things we just read, the uh, brotherly kindness and patience and charity or love, all these things, okay, cool, they're in you. That's awesome. But they need to be in you and abound. That means they need to come up out of you so that I can see them too. Because I get to drink out of the overflow of your life. And you drink from the overflow of mine. And okay, so I know the right thing to do. That's step one. Now I need to do it. He said, if these things be in you and abound, they come up out, they're visible. They make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you'll be fruitful. You'll produce offspring. You won't be barren in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And remember how we started this out. When you grow in the knowledge of God and Jesus, what? You get more and more grace and peace multiplied unto you. So if all these things are in you, 
and you're letting them out, you're going to get more and more grace and peace. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. You can't see the future, the future that God has for you, the home or the land, the place that he's calling you to. You can't even see it. Like you just think it's just it's all about right now here. Past, you're stuck in the past. You're stuck. You don't even see the future that God has for you. And hope can't exist in the past or even right now. Hope is in the future. So if you can't see the future, then you have no hope. You're living a hopeless life. That's a tough place to live. That's not a place you were called to live. There's hope for you. But you have to be able to see far off. You have to be able to see the future. To have hope. They cannot see far off and hath forgotten that he was purged. And that word purged, it's, it's a Greek word. It was translated purged. It just means washing or purified from his old sins. What's he saying? You just keep looking at yourself. You just keep seeing a, you keep seeing a chicken. You forgot that you've been washed, that you've been transformed, that you've been purified. That all of these good things are inside of you, so let them out. If you don't have these things, you can't see. And you've forgotten that you've been washed because of the cross, not because of what you've done. It's not about works. It's because of what Jesus did. You've been washed. You've been purified. The problem is if you think you're a chicken, you'll settle for less than God has for you. You'll spend your life settling because what's good enough for a chicken would never fly for an eagle. So you'll spend your whole life thinking, a pretty dang good looking chicken coop I got right here. It's not a good looking eagle habitat. You will settle because you never really know who you are. You never really believed that God was big enough or that he did what he said he would do. I think about um, the children of Israel. And we know that the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And they were beaten with whips and they were just treated very bad. And they, they built pyramids for the Egyptians and they were the workforce. And like we know the story and God calls Moses and Moses goes and, and all the plagues come. And God shows himself mightily and does these miracles and, and Moses leads the people out. All right, now, that many people headed across the wilderness. Where are they headed? Anybody know? Canaan. <laughs> the promised land. What God had promised to their fathers and years and years ago, God said, this is where I want you to land. This is my purpose. This is your home. This is the place where you're going to live. Canaan, the promised land. That's where you're headed. So God brings them out of slavery and they're headed across and, 
what should have been probably a 14-day trip across the desert turns into 40 years. And if you go read the story, I've been reading the story a lot and just kind of how it all happened. And, and they head across the desert and it didn't take them 40 years to get there the first time. They got there pretty quick considering they had over a million people. And they sent 10 spies in. Uh, excuse me, they sent 12 spies in to spy out the land. They crossed over the River Jordan, the 12 spies. They went in, they spied out the land. We know the story. I've preached on the story. They came back and 10 of them said, we're doomed. We can't make it. God's an idiot. Pretty much like God didn't know what he was talking about. God said this was our home, but it's inhabited by giants. We're grasshoppers compared to them. We can't take it. And only two out of the 12, Joshua and Caleb said, no, God said it's ours. There's fruit in the land. There's good in the land. They, they picked out what was good. They believed what God said. They had faith. And somehow these 10 guys, these 10 leaders, and their negativity infected over a million people without cell phones, without social media, without quickly to the point where, you know, I could preach a bad message. Like if I preach a bad message today, like some of y'all might say that was a bad message or even some, well, some of y'all come up and tell me, but these people were on another level. You know what they did? Kill Joshua and Caleb. Let's stone them and kill them. We pick a new leader to take us back to Egypt and be slaves again. Cool, that's a good plan. And Joshua and Caleb freak out and rip their clothes off to, for, I think, dramatic effect, or I don't know. No! You can go read the story and they're screaming, No, God said we could have it. Don't listen to them. Don't listen to the negativity. It's spreading through the camp. The ten wouldn't back down. And so God says, turn around and wander. One year for every day of the 40 days that you walked in the land, you will wander for 40 years until every person alive in this generation, everybody that was over 20 years old, till y'all die, you're not going to walk in the inheritance. You're not going to walk in the fullness. Only Joshua and Caleb get to make it. Y'all are going to be the only two old guys that get to go in. Because none of y'all believe. And that wasn't even it. After Moses says that, like God tells them that. Like, okay, now you should be like, dang it, we messed up. Now we got to walk around in the desert. Imagine going on a 40-year road trip through the desert with kids. Are we there yet? 39 and a half more years, son. I got to pee. Oh, I'm sure we'll pass by another cactus soon. That'd be horrible. They were still having kids, obviously, because they didn't want to all die off before the 40 years. So 
imagine traveling through the desert every day with a pregnant woman until that's where I was going next that's what I was going to say next <laughs> but so that alright this is real bad right okay these ten still said no, we can't, and start, like, they still wouldn't be, like, repentant or say, oh, my God, we missed it. We should have been like Joshua and Caleb. No, they still started spreading rumors and negativity through the camp, so God sent a little plague and killed them all right away. Did you know that? Those ten didn't even wander the 40 years. They, got, they just died in a little plague right there because God was like, oh, oh, my me. Right? Like, oh man, they, these guys, why? Because negativity and unbelief is more contagious than any disease or virus, or it's more contagious than COVID. And God was like, man, I can't even let them wander around with these people for 40 years because then when they come back, they're going to be the. So they died, and then the people wandered for another 40 years. Until all the ones that were little kids then, like that was their dads that went in. Now they're all grown men, warriors, ready for war. And God brings them back for the second time. Let's try again. Now I want to bring y'all in. I want to do something big. I want to take you into the land that's flowing with milk and honey. I want to. I want to bring you in so you're not just relying on a miracle every day to get by. You're just looking for a fix. I want to bring you into a land that will sustain you. So he brings them back. This is the second time. First time these guys were little kids. And the second time they come up and God said, hey, Here's the goal. Here's the land. I'm going to read you in Numbers 32, verse 1. Look what happens. They're close. They're about to walk in. The Reubenites and the Gadites. Gad's kids. Who had very large herds and flocks. See, these two... The kids of Reuben and, and of Gad, they took all the, the herds and flocks and they grew them. And it's got to let us know that. That's going to be important here in a minute. They saw that the lands of Jazir and Gilead were suitable for livestock. They said, hey, wait a second. Look around, man. This is a good spot for our animals. There's a good pasture over there. I could put my cows on. And they're not in Canaan. They're not to the place where God's called them. And they start looking around thinking, hey, this ain't bad. Gad comes up and says, hey, Moses, need to talk to you. Oh, my God. Don't do this. Don't settle. <laughs> this is a good place for livestock. So they came to Moses and Eleazar the priest. And to the leaders of the community. And they said. 
Adaroth, Dibon, Jazar, Joe and Hannah and Jesse and Nebo and beyond. Verse 4. The land the Lord subdued before the people of Israel are suitable for livestock. And your servants have livestock. <gasps> they went to Moses and the priest and they're like, Hey, the land that we just took from all these people, it's suitable for livestock. And who has livestock? <gasps> we do. <gasps> and Moses and the priest are looking at him like, but that's not where God said to go. If we have found favor in your eyes, they said, let this land be given to your servants as our possession. Do not make us cross the Jordan. What? Don't make us cross over the river Jordan into the land that God promised us. The land that God promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Don't, don't, don't make us cross over. We're done. We'll just take this. It's good enough. Hey, hey, we'll just keep this. And then, in the interest of time, I won't read you this whole next part, but Moses pretty much freaks out. What? The last time, the last time we were almost about to walk in, y'all's daddies did this, and then we had to walk around for another 40 years because they didn't want to go in, and they didn't believe, and then they died. You don't remember your dad? Uh, well, he died, and then we walked around for 40 years because of his disobedience. Moses is just freaking out. Moses, Moses is remembering what happened last time. We were just about to cross over and y'all didn't believe and didn't want to go in and didn't want to fight for it and didn't want what God had for you. So Moses like, go, go read it. Moses gets a little bit upset. But then they're like, well, okay, fine. Look, how about this? We'll, uh, um, We'll send our warriors to cross over with y'all and fight and help y'all get the land. But just give us this for our inheritance and let us go ahead and build some, some pens and some barns and let us build some cities and some houses and some strongholds. And we're going to leave all our wives and kids and our servants and all of our men that can't fight too good and our, you know, our sons and our daughters and all of our livestock that we've gotten and everything. Let us... We'll leave all that here. And then, you know, those of us that are able, we'll cross over with y'all and we'll help y'all get y'all's part of the land. How's that sound? And so they made a deal. And verse 19 says, We will not receive any inheritance with them on the other side of the Jordan because our inheritance has come to us on the east side of Jordan, of the Jordan. This is all there is for me. You ever thought that? You ever heard people say that? Well, this is as good as it gets for somebody like me. I'm, I'm happy with this. Well, they can go on and do great things and change the world and stuff, but I'm okay with where I'm at. I don't need to grow anymore. I'm... 
Now here's what we do. I don't deserve it. I've done a lot of things in my past and I, I don't deserve a good marriage. I don't deserve to live in the land. I, I don't deserve a better future. I'll help somebody else get their better future. I'll help somebody else sober up or I'll help somebody else, but I, this is good enough for me. I, chicken coop's fine. And you start talking yourself into less. And you can skip on down a little more to verse 40. And this is so sad. So Moses gave Gilead to the Mechorites, the descendants of Manasseh. These three, these four words. And they settled there. And that was it. They settled. They settled for less than God had for them. Why? We read the story and we why? Why would you settle? Probably the same reasons we settle every day. Same reasons we settle in relationships and the same reasons we settle on our jobs and in our churches and in our ministries and that that most people come to a point in life where they stop gaining ground. They're not willing to change their mindset, to change their old way of thinking to we settle. Why they settle? Probably number one, they were tired. They should have been. They've been traveling like we talked about a minute ago. You've been traveling through the desert for 40 years. You're probably tired. Same reason. You know you'll settle when you're tired. Be careful when you're tired. Don't make big life-changing decisions when you're tired. Because you will settle. I mean, in their defense, they probably were tired, and they should have been tired. They looked around and said, this will do. It'll work. It'll be fine. Second thing, why we settle. Why they settled. Why we settle. So we get distracted. There's so many distractions. And we lose focus. We start focusing on the wrong thing. We start, we forget about the prize. We forget about the call. We forget about the future. And we get distracted by what's going on right here. What's going to work right now. This will take care of my animals. This will be okay. Proverbs 29, 18 tells us that without vision, people perish. It's like the whole January 1st. I'm going to get healthy and go to the gym every day. And January 3rd, the light's on at the Krispy Kreme. <laughs> and there it goes. You get distracted. They were distracted 
by what? Like, I was thinking, like, what was their biggest distraction? We read it in verse 1. They had very large herds and flocks. Like, that was their main reason. What they said to Moses in their big argument was, we have large herds and flocks, more than all of y'all, and this is a good place for them. There's a pasture. We've been walking through the desert. So that was one of their distractions was what they had. Their wealth. The things like back then, that the herds and flocks, that was... And so I did a little research. Guess where they got the herds and flocks? From previous battles that they won, the people that they drove out of those lands, God gave them the herds and flocks as blessing. So what was a blessing from God that was meant to sustain them and make them better and greater and stronger as a nation, they let what was a blessing become a distraction. Now, I know we've never done that. None of us would do that. How dumb would that be? To let something that was a blessing become a distraction. Oh, we've probably all done it. Like in the past week. We all do it. We let something that God blessed us with, something that should have boosted us for, forward, further, trying to mix words. And, and then we let that be our distraction. God gave you that job, but don't let it become a distraction that causes you to settle for less. Don't let blessings become a distraction that knock you off course. God had blessed them and they let their blessings become a distraction. That ever happened? Yeah, it's happened to me. A distracted leader is just as bad as a quitting leader because both stop building. It's just as bad. You say, well, at least I've never quit. I never walked away. I've, at least I've always been there for my family. Yeah, but you've been so distracted. Have you been building or creating the future? Have you been building relationships? Have you, or have you been so distracted that you forgot to build? Think about a season that you got distracted. Did you build or create anything in that season? I'm betting not. The more distracted you were, the less you probably built, created. Third one, last one. We lose hope. We settle for now or we settle for what we can get. Why? Because you don't have hope for something better. You don't have hope in the future, so you'll settle for whatever you can get your hands on. Right, it's the guy at the poker tournament, it, you know, the guy that's talking about, let's, 
let's go ahead and split the pot and head home. It's getting kind of late. That's the one that doesn't have a hope of winning. They're just trying to settle for whatever they can get out of it right now before they lose it all. You know You lost hope. You don't feel like you can win. You don't feel like your future is bright. So you're willing to just settle here. Take what I can get. You lose hope. I was thinking about Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was a great leader. And when he found out, he got word that, that Israel was busted up, torn down and rubbles. The, the walls were broken down and the gates were burned. And, and he got support from the king and he went back and he was a great leader. And they rebuilt the walls. But, but part of that story, and I was thinking about it as I was studying for this, about how they didn't settle. He wasn't okay with, well, that's just how it is now. and It's not my problem. I got a good job over here working for the king. I got influence and power, and I'm taken care of, and like, I'm okay. Nehemiah was fine. He was treated well, had a great job, had a lot of power, plenty of food, nice clothes, didn't even have to get his hands dirty. He had a little sweet job. But he wouldn't settle. And more than that, he wouldn't watch his people settle for less than God had called him to be. And so, you know what Nehemiah did is, if you go read in the book of Nehemiah, he gave all of his people a sword. Got their sword. I got my sword right here. And said they had a sword in one hand and they had a hammer in the other hand. And so they were building the walls and the gates with one hand. And then if people would come up to fight, they had the sword in the other hand. The, like these jokers were so busy building and pressing on and moving forward. They didn't even have time to lay the hammer down and pick up a sword. They just had to have one in each hand. Look, we don't even have time to take a break to switch out the tool for a weapon. And then a weapon for a tool. And they built back a great wall. And they restored God's people to what they were supposed to be. So I was thinking about that and... In the New Testament, we see and we know that the sword equals the Word of God. Equals God's Word. So we're supposed to have the Word. The sword. The hammer equals building. See, there are lots of people that are all into the sword, into the Word, into the spiritual part. But they aren't building anything. They're, what are you doing? They're not building. They just got a sword. That's cool. You're defending and you're holding back the enemy. Awesome. But you're not building the wall. So you know what that means. It's never going to end. There won't be peace. You never get the wall built. You're just going to have to hold the sword from now on until you die. And hope somebody else takes up the sword. 
because you're not building back the wall. They aren't building anything. But then there are lots of people that are trying to swing a hammer. They're trying to build something great. They're trying to make the world a better place. They're trying to help somebody. They're trying to build a future. They're trying to build a relationship. They're trying, but they don't have the sword. They don't have the word. Remember he that buildeth a house labor in vain. Lest the Lord build this house. They, they're trying to build something, but they don't have the word. They don't have the vision of the future. So they don't know what to build. I'm just aimlessly building stuff because you don't, they don't know what to build. They don't have the blueprints. So in 2021, I need a group of people with a hammer and a sword. Like I, I need a group of people with a sword and a hammer. Because we got a lot of stuff we're supposed to build. But we got to have the word too. Like we need the spirit and the flow. And then we need the practicality of boots on the ground. We need a sword and a hammer. How does that even happen in relationship? Nobody can do it by themselves. You, I'm, you, yes, you, I'm talking to you. Everyone that can hear my voice, you cannot accomplish the plan that God has for you alone. Impossible. You can't do it. In 2021, you're going to have three different kinds of people in your life. Right, You're going to have people that are coming, people that are coming into your life, people that you're meeting, people that are coming to this church, people that are coming in, people that are coming. You're going to have people that are staying, people that are there for the long haul, people that are in relationship, people that are going to stand shoulder to shoulder, people that have your back, that are going to cheer you on, and you're going to have people that are going Or you're going to lose people. You need to know that. Everybody in your life's not there forever. Sometimes they're not willing to take the land. They're going to settle. And you have a choice to make whether you're going to settle with them. Or you're going to walk in the land. So you got people that are coming, people that are staying, and people that are going. And a proper response... To all three of those is that we're supposed to welcome the ones that are coming. Welcome them. We're supposed to listen to the ones that are staying. And we're supposed to celebrate the ones that are going. Oh, I don't know if I can celebrate everybody that's going because usually the reason they're going is because we got into it or they, she did something or he did something or we got whatever. even if they hurt you. You see, if I don't welcome the ones that are coming, then I'll be stagnant. And when God tries to add to me, or to my ministry, or to my, my family, or to my world, when God tries to add to me, 
if I'm not welcoming the ones that are coming, then I have no inflow of relationship. There's no inflow. There's no, no new coming in. So I'll be stagnant. What if they were supposed to stay? What if they were supposed to be some that stood beside me for years to come and I didn't welcome them when they came into my life? If I don't listen to the ones that are staying, I'll miss the benefit of relationship. If I don't listen to you, if I don't listen to their heart, if I don't, if I don't listen to their ideas and their wisdom and their pain and their hurt, and their, if I don't listen to the ones that are staying, I miss out. And if I can't celebrate the ones that are going, then I have allowed bitterness and unforgiveness to pollute my pool. See, I'm not forgiving like I was forgiven, and that's what we're commanded to do. God forgave me. I have to forgive. If I can't forgive the ones that are going, the ones that are hurting me, then, then it's a problem. So what do we do? We welcome, we listen, we celebrate. Looks like God. You're going to get in some hot water this year. There's going to be some fire. Some water. Now, I was thinking about that and thinking about if I take a big old pot and I fill it full of water and put some fire to it and get it boiling. Right? Because sometimes life's just like that. We get put in a pot of water. Pot of boiling water. If I put a potato in there, it gets soft. If I put an egg in there, it gets hard. If I put a tea bag in there and then mix a bunch of sugar with it, it'll make a glorious liquid that is refreshing and wonderful to drink. So where am I going with this? Same water for all three, the potato, the egg, the tea bag. It was the same water, the exact same fire. All of them are used. All of them are changed. Pain will change you. Hot water will change you. They were all used up. It's not like they're all good. They were all changed. They were all used, but only one changed the water. It took that which was painful and made it useful. So, like, at the end, the pain, the hurt, the... The water that was around and around it making it hot, the tea bag made it useful. It colored and flavored the water. Don't let your pain be in vain. When you go through things, don't just go through them, grow through them. Like you have the greatness inside of you to change the atmosphere around you. To flavor Don't let your pain be in vain. Don't get bitter, stingy. We all have a path. We all have a journey. We all have a 
a cross. We all have a purpose. And the good news is that God doesn't waste pain. God doesn't waste hard times. He uses it. Galatians 6, 9. And we're done. This will be the last scripture. Let us not become weary in doing good. Don't get tired. Don't quit. Don't settle. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest. If we do not give up. Don't give up. I'm supposed to tell somebody today, don't give up. Just don't quit. Don't settle. Don't stop. Don't stay here in Gilead. There's something a whole lot better for you. Don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Don't give up. Let us do good to all people. You see, the call on your life is going to make the world a better place. Don't quit. Don't settle. I heard this story, and it, it really reminds me of a story in the Bible. And I'm not going to tell you which story in the Bible before I tell you this story, because then you'll know the ending, because it kind of ends close to the same way. But... Um, the story is about a dad and uh, he had two, two boys and they lived in Salinas, California. I'm not sure if that's how you say it. Um, and the story goes that they owned a huge apple orchard and the dad always told his sons as they were growing up, when you're 18, if you want your inheritance, I'll give it to you. But I want you to stay and, and learn the family business. And one day, it'll all be yours. And this huge apple orchard and all the contracts that I have and we can grow it. And, and dad was pretty well off. It had a good business and good connections. And, and so one day when... The younger son, who was a lot more rebellious and kind of wild, after he had turned 18, he went to his dad and said, Hey, Dad, I don't want anything to do with this orchard. You know, and you've told us before that after we're 18, we can make the decision. If we want to work in the family business, I just, I want out. I want everything that you have for me. I want my inheritance, and I want to go. I just, I want to live my life. I'm sick of being, I don't want to be tied down here by you. and I just want to go. So dad said, fine. And so his dad gave him his inheritance, half of what the orchard was worth. And, and he left away and he went to a big city and he bought the nicest car he could buy to ride around and show off. And, 
he was partying and living it up and he rented a penthouse and life was great so he thought and he had fun and he developed some pretty serious addictions and eventually after he had pawned the title of his nice car and then the car got repoed and he got kicked out of the penthouse and got down to where he completely ran out of money and had no money and no food and he had lost all the nice shoes and clothes that he had bought and lost the car and all the friends disappeared and all his girlfriends disappeared and he was left trying to feed his addictions and he found himself laying in a back alley digging through a dumpster for food and pulling beer bottles out of the dumpster and just sipping them for the last couple drops that were left in the bottle just to get something to, to drink. And he, and he thought to himself, the guys that my dad has hired to work the orchard live better than me. Like I haven't even had a shower in a week. I go near somebody and they turn around and head the other way. All I'm doing is just trying to feed an addiction, just make it through the night to, to beg people for enough to get a bite to eat today. And he didn't have a cell phone or any way to, to call his dad. And in fact, he couldn't bear to even hear his dad's voice because he felt like such an embarrassment to the family and didn't even want to talk to his dad. So he wrote a letter to his dad. And in the letter, he said, hey, dad, um, I really messed up. I got some serious addictions that I can't beat and I wasted all the money. I've got absolutely nothing to show for it. I don't even have a change of clothes. There's holes worn through my shoes and I'm starving. I haven't eaten in days. And every time I get money, I, I, I just blow it on a fix. Um, I know I can't be a son anymore or have my share of the inheritance back, but can I just come home and work the orchard? And at least get some money for some clothes and food. Um, so I begged for enough money to buy a bus ticket. Two weeks from today, he says in the letter, and he puts the date, I'll be on the train that rides by the orchard. And so I don't want to show up and I don't think I could take any more rejection or pain. And I don't want to look into your eyes. So when I ride by on that train, I'm going to look out towards home. And if I'm welcome, will you just throw a bed sheet over that apple tree that's right by the driveway? And then I'll know and I'll get off the train and I'll come home. But if you don't throw a sheet then it'll just be the easy way of letting me know I blew my shot. Two weeks rolls around and he tries to scrape up food between then and he gets on that train and he's riding. And as he gets closer to his hometown, he starts to cry. And the old man sitting next to him on the bus had already noticed him and smelled him and then sees him crying and says, son, you okay? And so he breaks down and tells the old man. And he said, look, we're, we're about a mile from dad's orchard. And I, I can't even look. We just look out the window and tell me if there's a sheet on a tree. 
and he buried his head in his lap and started to cry. And in a minute, the old man said, oh my God, you need to look. You need to pick up your head. You need to look. And the boy picked up his head and they said for acres and acres and acres, every tree had a bed sheet on it. As far as he could see, thousands of sheets. He had to hire his workers for hours and hours and hours hanging sheets. That's the Father's heart. I don't care if you settled in the past. I don't, I don't care if you've messed up. I don't care if you weren't good enough. I don't care if you're addicted or broken or hurt or bruised. Or, he, 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 he spent his son... He paid the highest price. He, the Father's heart says, come home. The Father's heart says, don't settle for less. The Father has open arms. He says, you're his son, you're his daughter, you're, you're an eagle. Stop living like a chicken. You're an eagle. Come home. Spread your wings. I know you drifted. I know you messed up and you settled. I know you forgot who you were. But today I remind you that His love is not just enough to save you. It's enough to carry you to the promised land. So don't quit. Don't settle. Come home. Hey, Dad, we hear you. We hear you speaking to our hearts and our minds. For some of us, we've been away from home for, for too long. For some of us, we just got tired. It was just hard, and, and, and we ended up settling for things that, that we knew weren't good. And some of us got distracted. We started looking at things that didn't really matter. We, we, we just got off course and we quit building. We got distracted by blessings and we got distracted by sins and just life. And God, for some of us, we, we lost hope. We lost the hope that we had in the future. The hope that you could use us. The hope that we were still your sons and daughters. And God, my prayer is today that you would restore our hope. That you would restore that which the canker worm has eaten. That I thank you for the fact that you are the Father. And that your arms are open and that you call us home. That you paid the price for us to live as eagles. That you've called us from death into life. So God, transform our minds. We love you. Thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.